0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. If you uh, have not been with us before, maybe you're in a long time, It's just worth mentioning that all last year we looked at one topic biblically and that is the kingdom of God, what is it? This year we're taking a look at the kingdom of God, how do you live in it? And so in that we are focusing an entire year on the Sermon on the Mount. We'll call different chunks of it by different titles but in the end the entire year we'll be looking at the Sermon on the Mount and with that you discover in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount Jesus actually teaches the kingdom prayer. If you're from a high church, it's known as the Our Father. Um, Others of us may know it as the Lord's Prayer, but it's a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, and what's key is in the middle of that prayer, we ask that the Lord's King, God's kingdom would come from heaven to earth. Interesting to note, there are no prayers in the Bible anywhere for anyone or the idea of getting to heaven. It's about heaven coming here in God's kingdom. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer out loud and, uh, and then we'll be seated. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily Amen, you may be seated. (laughs) By by the way, just so you know, that happens every Sunday. Someone keeps going. And uh, it's interesting to note that the most ancient biblical manuscripts do not have that ending. That's why you don't see it in almost all of the translations of the Bible. Um, Some more recent ancient manuscripts have it, but that's why... You won't find it there. Nothing wrong with it, though. And actually, I wish it was there, because what does it say? Ah, the kingdom, right? I mean, come on, I wish it were Anyway, so full disclosure, that's why you don't see it there. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, where Jesus uh, announces, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see the kingdom of God. Now. Before we jump in, we're going to do an in-depth look at this passage of Scripture. But before we get into it, I just want to remind us of what the Sermon, or how the Sermon on the Mount starts and begins with what's known as the Beatitudes. That's simply taken from a Latin term that is for blessed. There are nine Beatitudes, nine blesseds that Jesus announces as he announces the kingdom. So what is Jesus doing? He goes up on a mountain. A large crowds are now following him, and he gives his inaugural vision of what his kingdom will be like and how do you live in it. And so, in that, Jesus begins to announce these blesseds. Now, when I was taught the beatitudes or the blesseds or the blessings, they were always something that you needed to have in order to be blessed. Ty was always read. The problem is, is when you actually read them, instantly you have a problem. Because if you were to look at the Beatitudes, it begins like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You don't want to be poor in spirit. That word in Greek for poor literally means hunched over with poverty. You're a pauper spiritually. How in the world is that something you want to be? I thought we were supposed to grow in our faith. Interesting. And then it goes on, the next one is this. It says, blessed are those who mourn. How many of you got up this morning and said, you know, I hope I have such a massive tragedy that by the end of the day, I'm gonna be grieving? Anyone? No takers, right? And what you begin to do as you read the Beatitudes, you all of a sudden go, huh, what is Jesus doing? What is he saying? Yesterday, we had a funeral in this sanctuary where we buried a 35-year-old young man. He died very tragically. And I also had done his mom's funeral about four or five years ago. And you look at that, and you sit in the context of a funeral in grief, And then you look at what Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. You got to know that the blessed life, if we were to paint the blessed life, you would never mourn. Doesn't that make sense? Wouldn't the blessed life be that you never lose anyone close to you? And when you do, it's just the perfect exit. Whatever that might look like. But no mourning, no grieving. And yet Jesus begins the announcement of his kingdom by proclaiming blessings over people who are clearly not blessed. But in his kingdom they are. And you begin to understand that Jesus' kingdom is this upside down kingdom. It's completely different than you think it should be or would be or could be. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at the announcement that Jesus makes, or the blessed, where he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, let's take a deep dive into this scripture. First of all, heart. It's the Greek word, "cardia," And in scripture, it's the center of who you are. By the way, if you're an athlete, you're very familiar with this. You ever do cardio? Or maybe you're in the medical field. Have you ever met a cardiac surgeon? It's taken from the Greek word cardio, or cardia for heart. Biblically speaking, though, the heart is the center of who you are. It's not your mind, it's your heart. Interestingly enough, in the Roman world, the center of your life was your stomach, your desires, your appetites. And in the kingdom of God, hint, hint, that's not true. What would you do if you ran into every appetite you ever had? I would never get out of Krispy Kreme alive, right? (laughs) You know what I'm trying to say? Like, if you live by the stomach, but that's the Roman Empire and suddenly there's this new kingdom that's being ushered in, which reaches back to the Older Testament where the heart is the center of who you are. I'm going to get to that in a moment. Now, the other thing we need to look at are some of the different words. It says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The Greek word for see is horaro. And what it simply means is to see with the eyes, see with the mind, perceive, know, absolutely, to see, to become acquainted with by experience, to experience. In other words, in the Greek mind, to see something, you must experience it and to truly see it. By the way, this Greek word is used hundreds of times in Scripture. And then there's the word for pure, katharos. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's where we get the English word catharsis from, which, as you know, if you say, man, that was cathartic, it's a way of just kind of cleansing your mind or cleansing your emotions or your body. But interestingly enough, the Greek word katharos does not have to do so much with cleanliness, although that is inferred. It has to do more with unity or singleness of heart and mind. Catharos is used of a Roman legion of soldiers where all the weak links have been expelled. Anyone that in the heat of battle is gonna turn tail and run, it's said of the legion that it's Catharos when it's got everyone the same in it and everyone's in unity and moving in the same direction. Does this make sense? And yet, that's the word that's used of pure for heart. Pure for heart. And anyone sitting there that listened to Jesus make this announcement, blessed are the pure of heart, or the pure in heart, they will see God instantly goes to the Older Testament if they're Jewish. Because in the Older Testament, pure in heart is mentioned. And so you gotta go there because Jesus is Jewish and he makes this blessed announcement and the inaugural vision casting of his his kingdom and he says, blessed are the pure in heart. So real quickly, if you were to go to the Older Testament, pure in heart is mentioned. Let's look quickly. Psalm 24, four. There's a psalm that says, who can stand before the Lord, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. There's another one, Psalm 73, 13. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure and I have washed my hands in innocence. If you begin to look at a pure heart in the Older Testament, you begin to recognize something and that is biblically, heart and hand are intrinsically linked. Your heart, your hand, they're linked. And King David after he had committed adultery, brings to us Psalm 51, 10 through 12. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What you begin to understand very quickly is that the biblical reality is as follows. Your heart in your hand, are connected. Pure heart, clean hands. Pure heart, clean hands. So what does that mean then, when my hands are dirty? You see, we live in a culture that says you can go do stuff, that's not really you. And the Bible says that's not how humanity works. If you have unclean hands, it means you have an impure heart. That's how this works, biblically. And I wish it weren't true. Wouldn't it be awesome if you can go do whatever you want and say, pure heart, I'm announcing it over myself. Here's the thing, a lot of us do that. We get involved with things we shouldn't be, And somehow we excuse it away. And the scripture, the text won't let us. The text ties condition of heart with hand. They're connected. Now, you would notice in Psalm 73, 13, it's an example of heart and hand connection. Here's what the psalmist writes. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure, and have I washed my hands in innocence. By the way, Psalm 73 is a psalm where this guy who's keeping himself pure of heart as best he can and he's watching his hands to make sure they're they're clean, but then he kind of looks over the wall to the ungodly. And when he does, he goes, interesting. It looks like they're all totally carefree and they're all getting rich. So why am I here Worrying about a pure heart and clean hands. Why shouldn't I just punt the whole thing and go join them? And here's the reason why I'm stressing this is because in the world in which we live, there's very little help and support to have a pure heart and clean hands. Very little. Isn't it amazing? That psalm was written 3,000 plus years ago and it was the same then. You've got an individual that's concerned about the condition of their heart, they're concerned about clean hands, but when they look at the culture around them, they go, gee, what's the point? What's the point? Now what we do, though, is we look towards the New Testament. What's the idea of that sense of the pure heart, the cleansed heart, the clean hands? And what you find is Jesus has a lot to say about this. He primarily speaks about this to some of the religious leaders known as Pharisees. You may have heard of them. Matthew 23, verses 25 through 26. Here's what Jesus says. Woe to you, teachers of the law, the Pharisees, you hypocrites. By the way, that's not a compliment, in case you didn't know. He says, you clean. By the way, just so you know. That's the exact same Greek word that was clean as a noun, now that's being used in a verb. By the way, Greek's a really cool language. Nouns become verbs. Very different than English. Well, some words similar, but... And all of a sudden, he's using that noun for pure as a verb. And he says to these Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. And here's how the Pharisees were living, and this is what Jesus had a problem with. In the Hebrew faith, there are 613 laws. What the Pharisees were doing was they had a belief that if everyone in culture lived by all 613 rules, and if everyone lived with them perfectly, then God would come and deliver Israel. Do you hear a little bit of works in there? And so the Pharisees would go around, and they would check up on everyone. And if you weren't living by one of the laws, they'd publicly shame you and rebuke you, Because you are the reason why God is not delivering Israel. But Jesus shows up, and what does he say to them? You know that outside stuff? God doesn't care about that as much as you think. What does he care about? The inside stuff. And here's the thing. Most of us in Christianity would say, just give me the list of rules, and I'll live them. Just give me the list. And I'll live the list. I'll avoid what I need to avoid and I'll do what I'm supposed to do, and then I'll have a pure heart and clean hands. Isn't it strange that the most action oriented people ever to ever try to walk out scripture were the Pharisees and Jesus had a problem with them? They got all the rules right, but their hearts weren't right. Do you catch this? Heart and hand go together. So here's the issue. Someone would come in, maybe they're a new follower of Jesus, and they'll say, give me the list of the rules. And here's the thing, I can live the rules to a T, and my heart be not right. You catch that? How many of you know that it's true? It's where that little boy, um, his uh, mom says, hey, I need you to sit down, stay seated. Don't stop, just stay seated. And the little boy looks at his mom and goes, I'm staying seated, but in my heart, I'm standing up. Right? The action, heart. Scripture says they go together. And then Jesus says the following. Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Notice he's focusing on thoughts. So in other words, I could check all of the boxes of the list that's getting ready to come. And yet, it could be the thought, sexual immorality, theft, and I know that no UVA student ever steals because of the honor code, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Well, what's folly? Anything else that wasn't on the list. That's folly. All these evils come from where? Inside. And defile a person. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says that inside the heart is where all of this evil comes from. We can't say that it's outside of me. No, Jesus says it's inside. Now, with all of this data in our minds and prayerfully in our hearts, I have a question to ask. How many of you are pure of heart? No takers. By the way, if you went to raise your hand, just ask your spouse. They will correct you instantly about pure of heart. So doesn't that present a dilemma? Because Jesus says, pure in heart will what? And none of us are it. None of us have a pure heart. I can tell you what, I don't have a pure heart. Do you? And suddenly we're stuck. Because I thought that the blesseds were something I had to do in order to be blessed, and I'm not it. Not it. By the way, don't be impressed, I got up at 5 a.m. this morning, and between five and nine, the impurity of my heart was clearly showing. Now, don't be impressed, it was Sunday morning. That's why I got up at five. That's it. No other morning. Does that ever happen? Thank you, Jesus. But with that said, so suddenly we discover something. You've got Jesus who's looking at a crowd of people on a hillside, and he lifts up his hands, this is how I picture it, and he looks at the people out there and he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. And the whole crew goes, it's none of us. None of us have a pure heart. As a matter of fact, if you look at the mix-up of that crowd at the end of Matthew 4, it tells you there's a bunch of pagans in the crowd. There's all kinds of people in the crowd. It's it's a crowd you would never see in Israel if it wasn't for Jesus. You'd never see that crowd. And yet he gets up and he makes this announcement. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. And here's what's even crazier. Crazier. Every Jew sitting there knows that no one in the Bible has ever seen God. And you say, oh, wait, 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 wait. What about Moses? I thought Moses saw God. If you read it accurately, he really didn't. God hid him in the cleft of the rock and God passed by and he got to see God's back. The text clearly says no one can see God and live. The only people that conservative theologians say may have seen God were Adam and Eve. That's it. And by the way, you and I are a result of the fall. So even if they did, we won't. Does this make sense? And so all of a sudden, you've got Jesus who's standing up and he begins to announce these blessings. And as he announces them, everyone begins to look around and go, no one hears pure heart. But he just said blessed. What if there's someone... As we put feet to our faith, what if there is someone who can announce blessed over my impure heart and do something about it? What if there's actually someone that can look at Pete Hartwig and say, pure heart, I can do something about that? And you see, ultimately, only Jesus could say this blessing. No one else can. Because somehow, way, as he inaugurates his kingdom, he's letting you know that if you aren't, there's hope in him. That in him, you'll have a pure heart. But if David's right, you don't get it in your own strength. Now, listen, I want to be careful here. Proverbs 4.23 is my wife, Fran's, one of her favorite verses. And here it is. Guard your heart because from it flows everything you do. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart. What we're not saying is that you don't guard your heart and you just kind of go, well, free for all. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is that Jesus uniquely is ushering in a new kingdom of which he's the king and he can look out at a crowd of everyone with impure hearts and he can make a blessing. Only he can do this. Where he can look at Pete Hartwig and say, pure heart. And then it leaves me to look at him and go, how's this gonna work? Because I intuitively know If this is due to me, Houston, we have a problem, a big one. And so, Jesus is making these blessings. Only he can do them, and it's because of who he is. It's because of who he is. Jesus is the only human being that ever did not have a divided heart. He's the only human being ever whose heart and hand were in total unity 100% of the time. He never got it wrong. And it comes down to this, that it is through faith in Jesus, his kingdom coming, and what he has done for us that we can, will see God. I want to read a series of verses and then we're going to close in prayer. These are people who understood the blessedness of Jesus. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Ephesians 1.8, I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 2.4 and 5, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead and our trespasses of sins, you've been saved by grace. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16, therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being being renewed day by day. You see, the only way that there can be pure heart said of Pete Hartwig is because of Jesus. He's the only one that can say it. No one else can. And it's because of him that that purity of heart, by faith, is made available, and I can see God. What I'm going to ask that we would do now is stand together. And as we stand together, I'd like us just to take a moment to close our eyes as the worship team returns. as we close our eyes I want you to think for a moment about your heart and your hands heart and hand as we stand into God's presence some of us maybe for the very first time ever would stand before God and by faith we would stand there with impure heart and unclean hands. Now what do I do? Who can I turn to? There's only one person. Only one. And that's Jesus. And he can look at you and all of your guilt and your shame. And say, but I'm here to announce blessing over you. Pure heart, clean hands. Jesus is the only one that can afford that to us. He's the only one. He's the only one that gives me a shot at doing this thing called life. God help us. Jesus also declared to his disciples that he would send the Spirit to help us do this. So what we discover by faith in Jesus is that the impure heart is now declared clean and pure. The unclean hands, they're clean because of him. And then the Spirit has been sent to transform us and make us like Jesus.